We're uh, through our journey through the New Testament. We're in the book of 2 Timothy today. And uh, we're going to read 2 Timothy beginning at verse 11 and going through 14. I'm going to go on past 14 a little bit uh, during the sermon. Um, so I invite you to have your Bibles open to that and leave them open. The saying is sure. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Remind them of this and warn them before God that they are to avoid wrangling over words, which does no good, but only ruins those who are listening. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can we talk about the Cardinals? <laughs> I promise to have you out by uh, three o'clock when the game starts. Um, I come from a family that just loves the Cardinals, and, and we've, uh, we've been fans. I, I, when, I was, uh, when I was in commission sales in, in the St. Louis area, um, and uh, there'd be a Cardinals day game, I often found my way over to uh, Nancy's grandfather's house where I knew that there was a game on the TV and I might just sneak a game in uh, that way and uh, spend time with Oscar. It was, uh, it was just something I did on occasion. But Nancy's grandfather handed that love of the Cardinals down to her father and then to the rest of the family and, and I married into that. But I, I, I like the Cardinals ahead of that, but still it was, it was nice to, uh, to have that family sort of rally around that. And everybody in the family loves the Cardinals except for Tom, the brother-in-law from Chicago. I might add that we also have a staff member who's a <clears throat> fan of the Cardinals. Kind of got that, I mean, of the Cubs. Um, who also reminded me as I was goading him about, you know, how well the Cubs did this year. Um, he said, yeah, but our football team will be better. <laughs> Ouch. But we, there's an app that you can put on your phone called Marco Polo. Have you found this app? And uh, it's become the bane of my existence because uh, um, in this app, you, you take little videos and send them to your family or to whoever you want to send them to. And it's not one of those that deletes the video. I can go back and look at all the videos of my grandchildren playing on the monkey bars and things like that if I want to go back and look at them. But, but everybody in the family is just uh, all over this app. And, and uh, we've got this group of about 20 of us. And I get about 25 of these little videos a day wear me out. But um, uh, we were all talking to Tom last week, making sure Tom understood where the Cubs were not and where the Cardinals were. And Tom brought something up and he said, yeah, you know, it's good you finally got in there after four years. It's been a while since you've been in there. And, you know, the Cardinals haven't been there recently, have they? Uh, you know, who, which of the last teams, uh, which of the teams uh, was the last in the World Series? And, and it comes. Of course, which one won 11 in the last hundred and so years? And how many did the Cubs win? Anyway, um, 
So as we were goading him, and, and, he, and he pointed that out to us, and, and I recognized, I realized that, that um, you know, uh, professional sports is really a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately type of thing, isn't it? I mean, if you're, if you're a professional athlete, it's expected that you're going to perform to your best and get your team, if it's a team sport, get your team into whatever the championship is. And if you didn't do it this year, then you didn't do your job right, right? I mean, that's, it's what's, what have you done for me lately? It's, it's the question of professional sports. And, um, and, and even though I can look back over Cardinals history um, uh, and, and, and just marvel at it, and I love it, and I, do you, I love history, and I love Cardinals history. If you haven't been to the Cardinals Museum and you're a, a, a Cardinals uh, uh, buff, you, you definitely want to go the, to it. It's, it's worth going to see. And, and um, the, the cool thing about that Cardinals history is, uh, is not just that it's something in the past. But because of certain members of the Cardinals organization, it is something that carries forward into the future. And, and what I mean by that is, uh, um, I've, I've often uh, talked about the difference between history and heritage. Cardinals have a rich history. A beautiful history. I mean, it's, it's wonderful to read the stories of, of the players and, and what they did over their lifetime and, and uh, the, the 11 World Series and all that other thing. But, but it's that, that history means nothing unless lessons are learned that carry us forward. And that learning of those lessons that carry us forward, that's our heritage. It's the past that informs the future. A man by the name of George Kissel was a member of the Cardinals organization. He joined the Cardinals in uh, the minor leagues and never left. In 2008, George passed away after 69 years as part of the Cardinals organization. 69 years from when he started in the minor leagues until he finished his coaching days in his death in 2008. He spent seven, he, he hit seven different decades in his cardinal experience. But not only was he a, a coach and very revered uh, coach, um, uh, what Kissel would do was he would look at how the game was played and how it was best played and how you could teach how to best play it. And then he would create ways to teach it to people who were learning the game. So while Kissel never got out of low A um, uh, baseball, which is you know the beginning of baseball, while he never got out of that as a player, Kissel was able to translate what he observed into actionable uh, uh, things that people could do to improve in the sport. In other words, he looked at the history of how it has been played to apply it to how we should play it in the future. And in so doing, uh, he taught players, but also taught coaches and managers along the way. One of those, uh, one of those uh, managers who was coming up through the minor leagues as a, a manager and, and just learning how to manage in the game was a guy by the name of Schilt. And Schilt is the Cardinals manager now. And what Kissel taught Schilt was, uh, well, so Schilt gave them... Uh, said this, he said, uh, the two things that he would always ask me, at the beginning of the morning, he would say, where's your checklist? 
In other words, what are you planning on working on? And in the afternoon, at the end of the practice, he would say, what did you learn? Where are your notes? So you would go from learn, make a checklist, learn, make a checklist, learn, make a checklist. So the history informs what you do in the future. Kissel had a notebook, and it was actually multiple notebooks, but he had a notebook that he kept, and actually you can go to Cardinal's Museum and see this notebook that's there now. And, and the notebook became known, uh, the whole idea became known as the Cardinal Way, a way of learning baseball based on history that informs the future, informs who you're called to be, how you're called to act, how you learn the sport in the future. And Kissel, when he died, um, his son compiled several of these notebooks and um, put, put it together and then made copies. And, and Mike Schilt has one of those copies. He only made about six copies, I think he said. Um, and Mike Schilt got one of those copies to, to carry on a heritage, not just the history, but the heritage, who we're called to be in the future. And as I, as I, I read about um, uh, what Paul is handing off to Timothy, I hear a history that Paul hopes will become a heritage. <clears throat> um, Paul writes this letter, this letter, 2 Timothy. And, and there's, there's some some things are unclear about exactly when this happened, how it happened uh, um, uh, in this letter. Um, one, one of the thoughts, um, uh, and because all of this history has not been written down, we just kind of glean ideas from the scripture. But one of the thoughts about when this was written, the first Timothy we think was written from Philippi. Um, second Timothy we think was written from prison uh, in Rome. Uh, Paul is writing to Timothy and it's evident to Paul that this is it. He does get beheaded in Rome, uh, but it's evident to Paul that this is it. And he's writing to this young man that he mentored in the faith, that he mentored into leadership in the faith. He says, he says I, I, I have fought the good fight. I have run the race. I have kept the faith. He, he's clear that this is, this is about the end for him. And, he, and he's sharing with, uh, with Timothy the, the, the things that, <clears throat> that he thinks are, I think, of ultimate importance. This is a man who's preparing to die and thinking back, what's most important? What, what would be the last words I'd want to share? And he's sharing that with, with this young man who's now a leader of the church. And as he does that, uh, I, I think that, um, that he's encouraging that, that sense of, of putting together a checklist, figuring out who you've been, the, the, the legacy that's been handed off to you, and, and how do we live that forward? How do we live that legacy forward? I, um, I think some of the times we get caught up as, as we seek to do that as a church, not just this church, every church, I've experienced it at every church, um, we, get, we get caught up in some of the details and some of the issues of the past that maybe don't so much inform who we're called to be, but hamstring us, that, that make it difficult to move forward. 
I still marvel at the fact that some people um, might think that, that the only way to worship is contemporary worship instead of that old traditional stuff. But our traditional service is alive and vibrant, doing well, if you're curious. <laughs> it's, things are growing in that service and people are showing up and, and the music is beautiful and, and uh, it, it's, it's a wonderful service where we hold on to traditions of the past. We hold on to some traditions of the past here too, right? We, we have communion that we do regularly. We say the Lord's Prayer. That's, that's part of that tradition of the past that we carry forward because it helps inform us of who we're called to be. Now that's different from traditionalism. Traditionalism focuses on the past as being what was important back then, must be important now, but sometimes chokes us out. A theologian by the name of Yaroslav Pelikan um, uh, said this about tradition versus traditionalism. He says, tradition is the living faith of the dead. The living faith of those who have come before us. Traditional, tradition, uh, tradition is the living faith of the dead. Traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Traditionalism is... is long past things that don't matter anymore. But we still hold on to them so tightly. We still insist that we do certain things in certain ways. And, and uh, uh, you know, I, I, every church I've ever been to says, you know, we just don't do it that way around here. Because we got a way of doing things that we're so comfortable with that to break outside of it might hurt us, even though it might invite someone else to Jesus Christ. Traditionalism versus tradition, and, and I, th I think that, 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 that Paul is, is, uh, is working with Timothy to say, you know what, there's some things that are important and some things that aren't. If, if you, if you, if you want to know what's important, look at, look at starting at verse 11. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. There's some things that are important, some things that are worth hearing from the past and living into the future, not just a history, but a heritage living into. And so I got to thinking, if I, if I put together a checklist, like, like if I try to remember um, uh, what has been important to me in the past and, and, and wrote notes about that to make a checklist for, for what I think ought to be important in the future, who, who I feel like I ought to be in order to be able to share my faith with authenticity, who I ought to be. Uh, here's a heritage that, that we bring forward. It's, this is my checklist. And I suggest that we all need to kind of think about what has been important in our faith in the past that we need to bring forward and what parts of it just need to let go. This is my checklist, and, and, and I, I offer it to you as, a, as an idea of a possibility. In verse 15 uh, of chapter 2, he says this, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved by him. If we're going to, to lead people to active faith in Jesus Christ, I think it begins with a high moral standard. A high moral standard. I remember when I was in the Boy Scouts, and, and I can still say the Scout Oath, and there's that part of the Scout Oath that says to be physically strong, mentally awake, and morally straight. What's the high moral standard 
that you hold yourself to? Where, where is it that, that you say, you know, I, I won't go below this point. I, I just, there's a standard I have, and I invite you to hold me to a high moral standard. They say that the people who work in churches, you're just held to a higher standard. Well, we ought to be. Ought we not? Of course we should. And we ought to live up to it. In, in verse 19, he says, but God's firm foundation stands buried in this inscription. The Lord knows who are his and let everyone who calls on the name of the Lord turn away from wickedness. Turn away from wickedness. Stick to a high moral standard. The next thing I would put on my list is dedication to a higher purpose. Dedication to a higher purpose. In verse 20, I read these words. In a large house, there are utensils, not only of gold and silver, but also of wood and clay, some for special use, some for ordinary. All who cleanse themselves of the things I have mentioned will become special utensils, dedicated and useful to the owner of the house, ready for every good work. Ready for every good work. Be, be ready, be prepared, have your life centered on a, a, a higher purpose. Uh, if the world revolves around you and what you do and who you are, it's a small world that has only a lifespan existence. But if your life revolves around Jesus Christ, it's an expansive world that has an eternal existence. And the things that you do can make a difference eternally for yourself and other people. And I think that's a higher purpose to which we're called. And then there's two other marks of the Christian faith that, that I glean from Jesus Christ that I, I think are, are so vitally important uh, that I would add to my list. And uh, um, I seek to, to, to live these myself, but I find it uh, difficult, as I'm sure you do too. Um, the first is be slow to judge. Be slow to judge. Jesus meets the, the woman who was caught in adultery, and at the end of the conversation, he says, neither do I condemn you. I don't judge you. I'm not going to be your trial and jury and executioner. Neither do I condemn you. Jesus hung out with taxpayers and sinners, prostitutes, and, and a drunken crowd, and yet they found life in him. Not life-draining judgment. How quick are you to judge the faults of others? I think this is so important that, that I've, been, I've been wrestling with a sermon series for about 20 years that I've tried to figure out how do I preach this series. And, and in January, uh, I, I'm going to finally preach it, and that is a series on judgment. Um, every one of us can say, judge not lest ye be judged. And we say it like we think it's the only place in the Bible judgment comes up. But it's not. And it's not the only thing. It doesn't just say don't judge. As a matter of fact, Paul says you judge. You go right ahead. So we need to know the context and the reasons and the, the proper application of judgment. Where does it come? But I would say until we go through that time and until we wrap our brains around it, I would say this. Be slow to judge. Slow. Slow to judge. And then we're going to follow that series on judgment uh, um, in, in uh, uh, February with a series on forgiveness. Be quick to forgive. Jesus is hanging on the cross and he says, looks at the people that have crucified him and he says, Father, forgive them. 
They have no idea what they've just done. Jesus offers a forgiveness that is quick and expansive. It's broad enough to include you. So we're, gonna, we're going to do several weeks on, on forgiveness, and uh, um, I've, I've preached that series before, and, and it's powerful, it's strong, it's, it's worth your hearing. I, I borrowed it from someone else, and I'll give them full credit. Uh, uh, I borrowed the ideas in it um, because it's so important for that judgment and forgiveness go, go together so um, they're, they're intertwined in such a way that they can't be separated. We'll conclude that, that time with Ash Wednesday is the, the, one of those traditions of the church that we bring forward that inform us of who we're called to be. And, and on Ash Wednesday, uh, we're reminded that, it, um, that, that we are the created, not the creator, that, that we are but dust of the earth, you know. And, and uh, um, so in at memory, the reminder of that, uh, we'll conclude with that Ash Wednesday, um, that series on forgiveness with a, 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 a worship service centered on forgiveness, how we forgive ourselves and how we forgive others. And so those are my four. That's my list. You want to throw that back up there? That's maybe not. There it is. Okay. Thank you. That's my list. That's my checklist. High moral standard. Dedication to a higher purpose. Slow to judge. Quick to forgive. Is that similar to your list? Is that what your list would look like? Now, I got to tell you, I get done preaching a sermon like that and feel pretty good about myself, and then God calls me on it, seriously. After the sermon was over, Greg and I went down here to sit. See, usually during the traditional service, we're sitting up here in chairs, but, but there was a children's choir right here singing, and so we don't like to be right next to them. It's just kind of weird. So we go down and sit in front so we can uh, uh, enjoy the, the choirs um, that, that stand right there. Um, and uh, as we're seated there, a guy walks up to me from the back. Now, I had seen him walk in in the middle of the service while I was preaching. The windows were open. I had seen him walk in. And we're seated. This is offering time. You don't walk up to the preachers during offering time. Smelling like you did. Looking like you did. Clearly hadn't bathed in a while and smoked one too many cigarettes this morning. And he came up and he sat between Greg and I and he asked for prayer. <laughs> and all I could hear in my ears was, practice what you preach, Dave. I threw you a, a, a curveball here, Dave. He, he says, uh, says, preacher, can you pray for me? And I'm thinking, okay, well, this, you know, just, it's kind of interrupting the service here, buddy. Uh, why don't you wait? And I did say that. I said, why don't you wait? until after the service is over. He goes, ah, I got to go. All right. So I put my arm around him. I said, what's your name? He said, Braden. I think that was his name. I couldn't hear hardly uh, that well. And uh, he said, my wife is Christine. She's out in the car. Let me pray for you. <laughs> no judgment. Wasn't going to... You're going to rush to, uh, to judge who he was, but be quick to forgive the interruption of a worship service for a guy that just needed prayer. 
I think that if, that if you'll, you, you make your own checklist, I've learned something today. God gave me that lesson seated right there. And I'll, I'll figure out what that checklist looks like tomorrow to work from. What have you learned in your faith past that informs who you're called to be the heritage for your future? Amen and amen.